you've got your Bible there to hand and you want to pop it back open, that would be really helpful to the passage uh, that we, we looked at. The last, uh, the last 18 months have, have brought uh, lots of new and sometimes strange experiences uh, for all of us, haven't they? I'm sure all of us had the frustration of trying to, to log on to Zoom and somehow not being able, able to. Uh, or the mild panic that comes when you arrive at the shop and you realise you've, you've not got your mask. Uh, new experiences. What, one new experience uh, for me over the last 18 months has been uh, preaching to a, to a camera. <laughs> That's been a, a new experience. And this kind of uh, reached its peak of weirdness, I think, uh, in November during the second lockdown when we decided to live stream our, our services from chapel. Uh, we're in lockdown, so... Uh, or you guys couldn't come along, you had to stay at home. Uh, but there's just a handful of us uh, here, those who were involved in the service were here at the chapel live streaming. So there'd be myself, there'd be someone playing the, the music, maybe Esther or Charlotte, Victoria was usually here to do a, a children's talk. Uh, and it, it was just, uh, it was surreal really, because uh, there was this audience <laughs> at home, uh, I presumed, uh, watching. Uh, <laughs> And I was uh, looking at the camera and trying to concentrate on the audience that I couldn't see. But also, I was very aware that there was a handful of people in the room, people that I, I could see. And it was far easier to give my attention uh, to the people actually in the room that I could see uh, than to the people who were at home that I, I couldn't see. Why, why have I started with my kind of awkward experience uh, with live streaming? Well, in our passage uh, today, I don't know if you notice it, but there are two audiences mentioned. Maybe audience isn't quite the right word, uh, but you'll see what I mean. One is uh, a seen audience and one is an unseen audience. And this passage that we read really hangs on the distinction between the seen audience and the unseen audience. Let me uh, show you that there in the verses. Uh, so first of all, the, the, the seen audience is made up of other people, our, our fellow creatures. Uh, verse 1 talks about other people. Verse 5 talks about being seen by others. Verse 16 talks about being seen by others. And then there's this unseen audience. The unseen audience is the creator God, our, our Father in heaven. So you can see there, verse 4. Your father in heaven who is your father in heaven who sees what is done in secret. Verse six, pray to your father in heaven who is unseen. Verse eighteen, your father who is unseen sees what is done in secret. So it's so two audiences, one seen, uh, one unseen. Before we get into the passage, just want to maybe think about those two audiences in light of the big storyline of, of the Bible. So first of all, let's uh, think about the, the unseen audience, the creator God. In, uh, in Romans, uh, Paul tells us that all things were created by God, from him, and they're all for him. All of creation is, is for his glory. We exist for his pleasure. The old uh, catechism puts it like this, what is man's primary purpose? Man's primary purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We were made to live for an audience of one, 
for the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why the whole of creation was made. We were made to find our significance and meaning in the relationship with the one who, who made us. And there in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, it's, it's beautiful. We see Adam and Eve there. They, they live for God's pleasure and all is, all is well. But probably most of us know that uh, what happens, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they, they turn their, their back on God. They try to find significance in the world around them. Eve listens to the snake. Adam listens to Eve. Adam and Eve both desire uh, the fruit of the forbidden tree. They no longer live for the creator. They live for uh, the creation. And in that moment, their, their hearts become blind. Their minds are, are darkened. And their relationship with God is, is broken. And now, having lost uh, sight of God, humanity is uh, like an actor who's uh, performing on a stage and looks up and suddenly there's no audience there. <laughs> what, does, what does such an actor do? An actor who's, who's born to act, who's, who's made to act, who can't do anything else but act and perform. Well, such an actor goes to find another audience. That's exactly uh, what humanity has done. Outside of the garden, human beings, we, we live uh, for the applause of the audience that we, we can now see, uh, one another. We, we live for the approval of the world around us, don't we? We live to, to please people. And in our sin, uh, the audience that we can see comes to, to dominate our actions. We love to be affirmed. We love to make a good impression. We love for people to be pleased with us. And so uh, in, in light of all that, we desperately need to hear uh, Jesus' words of warning uh, in chapter 6, verse 1. And these are uh, words of warning. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. As I said, we're going to look at this passage that we read over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we'll do verses 1 to 4 today and the rest uh, of the reading that we read next week. But it's quite a straightforward structure this, to this passage. There's this warning in verse 1, this principle. Don't practice your righteousness uh, to be seen by others. And then in the rest of the verses, verses 2 to 18, Jesus gives three illustrations or three applications of this principle and this warning. The first one is about our giving. The second one is about our prayer. And the third one is about our fasting. Righteousness has really been one of the big themes of the Sermon on the Mount so far, hasn't it? Jesus said back in chapter 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. He's told the people that unless their righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, they cannot be part of God's kingdom. And then he's unpacked what that righteousness looks like, hasn't he, in these sayings that we've looked at. You have heard it said, but I say to you. Righteousness has, has been the big theme. And we've seen that righteousness is, is not simply about our external actions, Righteousness begins in, in the heart. The righteousness that God desires and the righteousness that God works into his people is an inside-out righteousness. 
And again, it's, that's what we're looking at this morning. It's about practicing our righteousness. It may, it may seem strange that Jesus would give us a warning about practicing our, our righteousness. We understand, don't we? We need a warning about lust. We need a, a warning about anger. We need a warning about our tendency to retaliate. But Jesus here gives us a warning, a warning about doing good things, about praying, about giving, about fasting. We may think when, we, when we're doing good actions, we're on safe ground. We're in the clear. What, what, what could go wrong when you're praying? But perhaps it's when we're doing good that we're most vulnerable because we're off our guard. And so Jesus gives us this warning about pursuing righteousness for the, for the wrong reason. The danger that we face when we come to do good works is one of our motives. It's, it's, it's about why we do what, what we do. We can do the right thing for the wrong reason. And Jesus says the wrong reason is to do something good, to be seen by, by other people. Sometimes this kind of virtue sig- signaling is obvious, isn't it? Jesus used the illustration of the man who he blows the trumpet just before he puts some money in the offering box so everyone can, can see, him, see him giving. It's almost a humorous picture, wasn't it, isn't it, if, it, if it wasn't so true? If we were to put that into kind of modern-day terms, it might be the person who posts lots of Facebook uh, posts about their volunteer work at the local charity. It's not always so blatant, though, is it? There's, there's subtle ways just to let people know about your your good works so they can see. Just maybe a line dropped into a conversation about a good act that you've done. The kind of humble brag, we can, get, we can get good at that, can't we? Maybe when you're in a prayer meeting, it's easy to be overly concerned about what the person sitting next to you might think. So that in reality, you end up praying to them rather than praying to your, your father. Even preaching, preaching God's word, undoubtedly a good thing to do, isn't it? But like every good act, it can be done for the wrong reason. It's possible to stand up here and preach uh, simply so that people will be pleased with you. So Jesus' warning is always needed. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. I don't know about you, but uh, it's sometimes hard to know your motives, isn't it? (laughs) Knowing your own heart can be a difficult thing. I think uh, when it comes to motive, our our response uh, to praise or or criticism is often very revealing. Imagine you're kind of serving your church family in some way. I don't want to pick an example in case someone thinks I'm singling, singling them out. But you've been serving uh, uh, well, wholeheartedly, and then someone comes along and criticizes you. It may be a, you know, a, a genuine kind of valid criticism, or it may be just something that's a little bit unkind. How do you respond? Well, if your response is to take offense and, and blow up and complain about how no one appreciates the, the service that you've done, well, that would suggest you've been serving to be seen by others. Maybe that wouldn't be the outward response. Maybe you, uh, you kind of managed to play the humble card and, and you, 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 know, you say, oh, thank you for that feedback, but inside you're seething <laughs> and you're angry. Again, you've been serving 
for the wrong reasons. But if, on the other hand, you've been serving because you know your father sees and you know it gives him pleasure, then when someone brings their criticism, it's not really too much of a problem. If there's some truth in it, you can take it. <laughs> if there's no truth in it, then, then you can just let it go by. It's the same with praise, isn't it? If when you're doing your, your good deeds, someone comes and praises you, if that makes your day, puts you on cloud nine, makes you easier to live with, then something's wrong. <laughs> You've been serving for the wrong reason. And Jesus warns us about uh, pursuing good deeds with the wrong motive. Because when we do that, our good deeds have no lasting value. No lasting value. Listen again to verse one. Beware of practicing your righteousness before the people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. When we do our good deeds for the applause of the people that we can see, we've, we've, had, our, we've had our reward. There's a little phrase that's repeated a couple of times in this passage. Uh, it's there in verse 2. Truly I tell you they have received their reward. It's there in verse 5. They have received their reward. It's there again in verse 16. That little phrase simply means uh, paid in full. People have been paid in full, account closed, debt settled. Jesus is saying when we do good deeds to be seen by others, we receive full payment in this world. There's nothing going to be waiting for us in the world to come. It's of no lasting value. We may gain reputation. Uh, we may gain f financially here when we do good deeds. But when we do it to be seen by others, there's, there's nothing waiting for us in the kingdom of God, no reward. It may be uh, that someone says, uh, or is thinking, hold on a minute. Just uh, a few weeks ago, we, we looked in the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus said this. He told us not to hide our light, but to let our light shine so that men may see our good deeds and glorify God in heaven. So which is it? <laughs> Are we meant to let our light shine and let others see our good deeds? Or are we meant to keep our, our righteous acts private and, and secret? Well, because Jesus uh, says both, it is, it is both. We're meant to do both. It's yes and no. Jesus commands us to let our, our light shine for those times when we're tempted to hide. When we're tempted to take our, our light and, and put it under a basket, when people aren't necessarily going to be pleased with our, our good deeds, Jesus says, let your light shine. And the aim is so that people will glorify your Father in heaven. But when we're tempted to show our good deeds, <laughs> because we think others will be pleased with us, or will get some credit for them, in that moment we're meant to keep them secret. So that's the, the warning that Jesus gives. Beware of practicing your righteousness before the people in order to be seen by them. So let's look now at his first application of this principle. He applies it to the act of giving. And the application is we are to give and our motive in giving is we're to give because our father sees and he will reward us. That's why we're to give. As Christians. 
So verse 2, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. Right, right at the start of verse 2 there, you can see that Jesus expects his followers to give. When you give. Not, not if you give, when you give. Those who, who belong to God's kingdom are to use their money and their resources to help the needy. Those who are physically needy, but more than that, those who are spiritually needy. Those who desperately need to hear the life-giving message of, of Jesus Christ. And so uh, joyful, sacrificial giving is not optional for the Christian. It's just part of our discipleship. It's part of what it means to follow Jesus. It's one of the ways we reflect the, the great love of our, our Father, his love that sent his son uh, to die for us. As we give, as we give, we're never to give to be seen by others. Not like this man who, who quite literally blows his own trumpet. That's where the saying comes from. He blows his own trumpet. He's there at the offering box and he, he blows the trumpet. He sounds the, sounds the air horn so that everyone can see the big roll of cash that he's giving uh, to God's work. Imagine if someone to, to, to do that in our church today. If someone, as they walked in, in the back door, were to get the air horn out, give it a couple of toots, uh, get the wallet out and just put the cash in, in, the, in the box. We'd, we'd be shocked, wouldn't we? I'm sure we would. It's, uh, it's, it's a kind of overstatement, I think, to, uh, to make a point. Or to modernise it again, maybe someone's done a, a transfer, a bank transfer to the work of the church, and then they take a screenshot of the transaction going through and put it on the church WhatsApp group. It's, uh, it's an overstatement, isn't it? But we, we get the point that Jesus is making. And again, there are more subtle ways uh, to make your generosity known. I can remember at uh, Christian Union when I was at university in Liverpool. For some reason, we were, we were collecting money. I can't remember what for. Asking people to, to give money. Uh, and we decided that in order to raise money, uh, or the leadership of the CU decided, in order to raise money, uh, we would have what's called an auction of promises. I'd never really been to one before, but the idea was that people uh, made promises of things that they would do, some of the students who were part of the CU, and other people would, would buy them. I know someone would say, oh, I, I promise to do your washing up for the next two weeks. <laughs> that would go up for auction. I, I, I promise to give you uh, 10 free piano lessons. That would go up for auction. And then at one of the meetings, we sat around and, and uh, bid for these these promises, and you know, I was, I was surprised. It was all—it was all kind of new to me. But I was surprised. People were, were bidding quite a lot. You know, hundred pounds to have someone come and do your washing up for two weeks. And as the night went on, it became clear that people had obviously decided to give uh, anyway, and uh, seemed that this was just a, a fun way of, of doing it. Actually, what, what that did—it was made all of the giving public. <laughs> It meant that everyone in the room knew exactly what everyone had, had given. And, and really, that's the, the world's way to give. If there's a good cause, why not just give your money? Why, why make it public? The world's motivation for giving is to be seen 
by others. Think about it. Think about the, the giant checks as people give to charity and they stand there with a the big check and they get the photograph taken for the paper. Think about the charity dinners where, where people buy expensive tickets and sit around and everyone in the room is, is quite smug because they're at the charity dinner. Think about the, the well-publicised pledges of the rich and famous to give away so much of their wealth. Think about uh, sponsorship forms that go around the office at work. <laughs> Everyone feels like they have to give because their name is going to go on the list. It brings it all out into the, the public and we give to be seen by others. That's the, the world's way. But Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. That's not the way it works in his kingdom. That, that word uh, hypocrite is a word that's taken from the, the Greek theatre and it was a, a particular uh, person in the theatre who would play this role and he would wear a mask. He would play a part. He, he would pretend. And what, what, what these hypocrites are doing here when they, when they blow their horn and put the money in their offering box, they're pretending to give. But really they're looking to receive. <laughs> they're playing the part of the giver but they want to get. It's hypocrisy. And Jesus says, what they get, that's their full reward and they get nothing else. But those who belong to God's kingdom are to give differently. When we, when we give, we're to forget about others. We're even to forget about ourselves. <laughs> we shouldn't be looking for applause from others. There should be no pat on our, back, on our own backs. <laughs> Jesus says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. We mustn't uh, uh, twist Jesus' words here. The context is important. The context is uh, looking for praise uh, from others. It's possible to take these verses uh, and use them as a kind of cloak of privacy for a, for a Scrooge-like character. I've said, haven't I, giving is, is part of our discipleship. It's an essential part of our discipleship. Imagine this scenario. Money has taken a grip on your heart. You're giving nothing away. You're pursuing material possessions. And a brother or sister in the Lord comes up to you and just gently uh, says what they've seen. Asking you about how you're using your money. And in the course of the, the conversation, they ask you whether you've been giving. <laughs> you turn to them and you say, oh, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. I'm not telling you anything. That's using these verses as, an, as a, a cloak of privacy to cover a, a Scrooge-like heart. But Jesus' imagery here is, is great, isn't it? There's a, there's a sense that you can't keep uh, what your right hand does and your left hand does separate. You, you know, you know what you've given, but Jesus is saying, if at all possible, forget about it. Give and then forget about it. Give yourself no, no credit. Instead, we're to, to give, Jesus says, because our Father sees and will reward us. We're a bit shy, aren't we, I think, of talking about rewards. Jesus here holds out rewards as a, as a good motivation for our giving in, in this world. Two things about these rewards. They're not earned. 
We shouldn't think of this as some kind of transaction. As we're, I, I give uh, away to the needy here and then God gives me uh, what I want in eternity. This isn't a transaction. These rewards are all of grace. The reward the Father gives far exceeds anything that we give in this world. God is, is no man's debtor. We cannot buy our way into the kingdom. We come into the kingdom simply through the death and resurrection of Jesus and putting our confidence in in him so we don't earn these rewards and these rewards in a sense are a natural reward they're the natural reward uh, for people who live in this world desiring the coming kingdom let me read something that C.S. Lewis uh, writes which I think was helpful proper rewards are not just tacked on to the activity performed he says they are the activity itself in consummation. So it makes the point, a man who pursues a relationship with a woman in order to marry her because she's wealthy, the wealth is an improper reward. But the man who pursues the relationship with a woman in order to enjoy a lasting and loving marriage, the marriage is the, the proper, proper and right reward. And the reward that God gives to us is, is himself. He gives us a place in his kingdom through all eternity. We thought about the rewards right at the back, back at the start of the sermon, Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes. Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There'll be comfort. They'll inherit the earth. They'll be filled with righteousness. They'll be shown mercy. They will see God. They will be called children of God. That's the right reward for people who live for the Father's praise in, in this world. And really, it's remembering that the one who made us is our Father. That's the antidote for the temptation to perform for others. It's, it's remembering who our, our Father is and what he's, he's done for us. I don't know if you noticed just how many times the word Father is used in the passage that we read. I think it's maybe about 10 times. Jesus reminds us that the one who is in heaven, the one who made us, is our, our Father. And it's been secure in that relationship that frees us up uh, from the insecurity of pursuing the kind of praise of others and people-pleasing. It's knowing that every moment we live under the gaze of our loving Heavenly Father who sent Jesus to die for us. So that's what keeps us from, from living to please others. So I just want to encourage us this morning, let's not live uh, for the applause of the people that we can see, but let's live for the pleasure of our Father who is in heaven.